Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hate Read. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. Every fortnight here on Hate Read, one of us challenges the other to read a book that we think they'll hate, but occasionally we take time to revisit a book that we've read in the past that we know that we hated and see how it holds up. So this fortnight, Anna chose one of the books she hated during her high school years, which was Mm -hmm. The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. So, first things first, Anna, uh, why did you hate this book? Um, I think I originally hated this book because um, I thought it was very unnecessarily convoluted. Mm. Um, the, the plot is very difficult to summarize i we, we will try i think in the episode to do so but there's just difficult. like i think there's just a bunch of digressions there's a lot of moving parts yeah yeah and like just a whole like stupid side plot that doesn't even seem to matter at all yeah. um and also um and i think i only realized this upon rereading it but this is basically like dan brown just showing off how much he knows about the odds it's so he's so fancy that was my one of the major complaints i had with this too um upon rereading it especially was that and i feel like to some extent it's kind of just a product of the time it was written because i felt Mm -hmm. very much like the situation was that dan brown had discovered google and (laughs) was aware that not everyone had access to the internet the way they do now. So he was just like, oh, let me tell you about all the cool things that I found, which like now if an author did this, we would be like, yeah, but I can look that up. You don't need to explain it to me. Exactly. Yes, like, I can. Like now, like when he's that, like, oh, you. the Mona Lisa. I'm like, okay, I'm going to Google the Mona Lisa so I know what you're talking about and I can like visualize right. it. But he has to describe it in depth. And I think we've noticed that in some of the other books we've kind of read from like the like early 2000s-ish where it mm-hmm. is very like there's a lot of there's like a lot of explanation. And I think that's because yes. the Internet existed but wasn't as widespread as it is like it wasn't like we had everyone had a smartphone you know yeah 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 I I can see that like definitely he felt he needed to describe um, every single painting in detail yeah like this is like an art history 101 class that we are taking as we are reading this book um and I don't know what his credentials are like I probably should have looked that up before I started complaining about him but yeah I don't think I don't think he is an art history professor of any sort and so well I know this book got a lot of backlash from art historians and historians Mm -hmm. and everyone about how none of it was accurate (laughs) um wonderful but I'm trying to look up and see if I can find um wikipedia literally says brown's interest in secrets and puzzles stems from their presence in his household as a child we're like okay like all right cool (laughs) i don't know if that really like qualifies you to be (laughs) um he took an art history course at the university of seville so wow cool and i think he wrote down everything he learned in that class in this book yes Yes. Well, this book and the other, like, five books that are in this series. Mm. Maybe he took a second class for those. <laughs> I don't know. The learning in it. Uh, the, the thing about this that cracks me up, though, is there's this little tiny, like, three-sentence-long 
forward at the beginning mm-hmm. of this book. Mm-hmm. And it says at the very end, all descriptions of artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals in this novel are accurate. Right. How can how can right. you know 100% that a secret ritual is being accurately depicted in your book? That's a pretty bold claim, it's Dan Brown. Also considering, because um, again, I, like I said, I was looking up like, kind of the backlash around this, I guess, mm-hmm. because we like to be well-informed about why other people hated the books that we hate. <laughs> but like, essentially he, this was involved in like a lot of lawsuits because he kind of took ideas from other people's books. Oh, I didn't but know But it was like, like it was like theories and stuff of like history. So like the whole, like essentially the whole, what the Da Vinci Code is and whatever. Like, other people have theorized mm-hmm. some of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, what ended up being kind of the, at least for a couple of the uh, court cases, was that essentially they were like, no, he can use it. It's fair use because he's presenting it as fiction. But at the same time, if you read interviews with him, he's like, like, literally, there's an interview where someone asks him, like, um, if you were rewriting the Da Vinci Code as nonfiction how much would change and he's like 99% of it would stay the same and it's like would it what would it so it's and that's I, uh, yeah <laughs> like Dan Brown I think that's the thing it's kind of like one of those things where the coolness of it he's trying to like market it mm-hmm. right of being like yeah. this could be real it's kind of like um <laughs> what it what is that movie uh the Blair Witch Project like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, like the oh, found, found footage. footage. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's trying to act like this is like a found footage book or something. And it's like, <laughs> it's not, though. You wrote it. <laughs> I just kept finding pages of the Da Vinci Code in the garbage. So I just, I put them all together and made a book. But I found them. I found them from someone's journal. A garbage journal for a garbage book. And I mean, we can, we can get into kind of like the inaccuracies, I guess. But like, I also feel that that's been covered by a lot of people. Um, yeah, but it is pretty inaccurate, I would say at but... times. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, I'm not an art historian. I'm not a mm. like biblical scholar to the extent of some people. But uh, even I was just like, this is like the whole thing with the Gnostic Gospels and like the whole theory. But like, there is a lot of mm-hmm. stuff that I was just like, this is incorrect though. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is just wrong. Well, and I think too, like some of that could be forgiven if he wasn't. If he like, wasn't trying to act like it was real. Yeah, and also if it was a better book. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm willing to extend my disbelief for a lot of things. Yeah. But this was just too much. Well, should we get into talking about what actually happens? Yeah. Let Let me try and give parse a, out. Give us a rundown. This plot. Okay. So the book opens with the curator of the the, the Louvre. Yeah, this episode is going to be full of us mispronouncing French words. So like, just I'm be so sorry for that. And I listened to a, like I listened to the audiobook for a significant portion of this, so I should know uh, all the pronunciations. Uh-huh. I do not. Okay, well, what's this guy's name then? Jacques Sonnier. Sonnier. I think is Sonnier. Okay, so Jacques Sonnier. I think that's the closest I can do in my terrible American mm. accent. Yes, I'm sorry. Like we both took languages that require like a bit of a higher palate than French does so I, I personally my my tongue just does not move this way very easily so apologies we're trying um I'm not so, <laughs> varied amounts of trying 
Um, so the curator of the Louvre is shot and killed by an albino monk named Silas, who is um, from the Opus Dei, which is like, I guess, a type of super extreme Catholic. They're the yeah. kind that are into like punishing themselves um, and very uh, like patriarchal women are basically dirt well, and, and also we the other thing with opus day mm-hmm. like it's real like it's a real mm-hmm. thing um but he invents like it's just so but impressive. it's 100% accurate it's 100% M. it's 100% accurate, 100% okay. accurate. So it's a real <laughs> real society like a real you know a real sect. secret uh, not, not, society. not even secret they're real they're like oh a, do they really have the headquarters in new york City yeah they're, they're like they're like a real like branch of catholicism um, okay. Like in a way like Jesuits or something like that, you know, like that sort of mm-hmm, idea, not mm-hmm. quite the same, but, but the thing is one of the characters in this book, he presents as the founder of Opus Dei, but it's not. So it's like, he just changes the name, but keeps all the details the same. So it's very cool. weird. And at one point he even like references, um, in one of the giant info dumps where the guy who's the founder of Opus Dei in this book mm-hmm is talking about, like, in his head about the criticisms people have had against Opus Dei. He talks, mm-hmm. and it's very jarring when you're listening to it on audio because he goes, there was even a website, www.odan.com, like, which is a real website of, like... This, I did. I went yeah, there, and like it was very thing. early 2000s yes, in design. Yes, but it's, like, a real <laughs> website that's opposed to this group in the real world. So it's like yeah. this very weird blurring of like reality and things that Dan Brown just kind of made up. And I like, think this is a plain white tea situation. Yeah, it really felt like it. It was that same sort of vibe. Like I was like, okay, all right. How alternate of a universe is this? Not very, I guess. Yeah. And you bring up this guy who was in charge of Opus Day. I wasn't even going to mention him because this was the stupid side plot that like. Didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. So we mentioned this character, but you have no need to remember him. <laughs> so the albino monk Silas is in search of a keystone that will help him find the Holy Grail. And there are these four protectors, I guess, of the keystone. Um, with Jacques, the curator, being the grand master mm-hmm. of the secret society, the Priory of Sion who are in charge of safeguarding the Holy Grail. Which is sort of a real secret society, except not, because it is a secret society that was invented as a goofy prank in the 1950s. Hilarious. Yeah, so, like, like somebody made up this whole story of, like, essentially everything that happens in this book of what the Priory of Sion does. It's like, ooh, it's a secret society, Better look out for him or whatever. And then later was like, haha, just kidding. That's not real. I made it up. But then, so like Excellent. people people believed in this whole theory for like a, a while because of mm-hmm. this hoax. And Dan Brown, I guess, just didn't get the memo that it was a hoax. I don't know. <laughs> it's 100% accurate, though. It's very There's... weird. <laughs> uh, so Silas reveals that he's killed all the other three people and now Jacques is the last one. And he's like, Oh no, 
my the secret's gonna be lost forever. And so even though I've been just now shot in the stomach, I am gonna somehow have the energy left to set up this huge scavenger hunt for my estranged granddaughter yeah. as I'm dying of blood loss and my stomach acid's eating me from the inside. It's he like so he was shot in one room and he manages to move to the room where the Mona Lisa is hidden and he like writes something on the plastic or whatever glass, probably. Pr- yeah, glass protective stuff they have around the paintings so that no one touches it. And he writes some stuff on there in invisible ink. And then he goes and he hides a necklace somewhere else. And then he comes back to the where he was shot and he positions his body and like writes stuff on the ground. Did he and... write it in invisible ink? I totally missed that. I thought it was like blood. No, yeah, it was like a pen that they use to mark the frames of paintings oh, that need okay. to be restored. Yeah. I totally so, like, missed it's... that. I just assumed mm-hmm. it was that he was going around like that would have been much awesome. Right? Like that would have been <laughs> way better. <laughs> He went hard the last 15 minutes of his life. He was like, gotta go. Like, I'm dying. Let's do this. Just starts dipping his fingers in his gaping stomach wound. And And he's just like, Robert Langdon. Fine, Robert. Like, that would have been way more reason to suspect Langdon, I think. Yeah, yeah. I would have definitely bought why the French police were after him. So... Uh, Robert Langdon, the main character of this book, is called to the loop by the police because they they trick him there basically by because Robert Langdon is a symbologist. And that is in quotation marks, even on Wikipedia, because that is not a I don't that's not a real thing. <laughs> he's invented this symbology. Um so they trick him into thinking he's helping investigate the case because Jacques left these strange symbols behind and they were like, maybe you can come decipher what he meant. Also, this is the first time. I'm sorry I keep interrupting you, but I just no, have a you're lot good. of things in this first part. Because it, it, it's totally illogical. Like, this, this is the first time that um, <laughs> we start seeing Dan Brown do this thing that I guess a lot of thriller writers do because it reminded me very much of our friend James Patterson, which you know mm. wasn't really written by James Patterson, but, but whatever, where <laughs> they try to create suspense by just not telling the audience things that could easily be and would easily be told like sometimes it's the character whose head we're in being like was it time to reveal to the other character this thing no (laughs) i guess not and it's like you're just not telling me i hate that so much but then in this one specifically like the the hotel clerk or whatever like who's calling up to langdon to be like hey so this guy needs to talk to you instead of just being like hey yeah the police are here and they want to talk to you he's like there's a very important man here for you, Monsieur Langdon. And Langdon's like, who is it? And he's like, well, he is very important. I cannot say no to such an important man. And I'm like, what? It, just say it's the Just say it's the police. Right? Like, why are you doing this? Literally, the so only reason irritating. to do this is to create tension for the audience. But you're a character in the book. You don't know about the audience. Yes, it is not 100% accurate it's, as to what would happen in real life. Right, it was very dumb. <laughs> and again, this other piece of the of the puzzle here is very dumb, where we find out that the chief of police, the chief of all the French police, has basically con- uh, edited a crime scene by erasing part of the message that Jacques had left behind um, in order to possibly trick Robert Langdon into incriminating himself. Because the part that he erased was the part that said, find Robert Langdon. Um, why? 
there's no way they would do that to a crime scene. <laughs> like, well, I guess I guess eventually you have to clean it up anyway. So once you kind of take pictures, I don't really know. I don't. But know what like the rules thirty are. minutes after it happened, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what the just, rules are regarding uh, erasing messages from murder victims. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> so Sophie then shows up. Then, then, then the female main character appears. She is a cryptologist. And she has come to the crime scene saying she solved the puzzle of whatever code her... Uh, the curator has left behind. So she comes in and she tells the chief of police... Um, there is no code to break. It's just because I guess he left some numbers on the floor. And she goes, it's not a code. It's just the Fibonacci sequence out of order. He just wrote this down to get the attention of the cryptology department. LOL, I guess. By the way, Robert Langdon, you had a, a message waiting for you at the U.S. Embassy that I somehow know about. Um, please call this number and dial in this code to hear it. And he does so. But he does so on the chief of police's cell phone, which is a very important detail later. And a very stupid, very stupid, um, what is the word I'm trying to look for? It was very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she left, it's actually Sophie leaving a message for Robert on her own voicemail saying that he's in danger and they need to escape because the police think he's the one that murdered the dude. Um, and then we also find out that she is actually Jacques' granddaughter, who is estranged from him because she saw him participating in, like, the sex thing, I guess, like, Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. We need to talk about this. First <laughs> we time. do need to talk about this. Do we want to talk about it now or do we want to talk about I mean, like, I guess, we don't actually find out what, why she's estranged for a while because- for so long. It's, again, the thing that they do to create tension that isn't- that's cheating in my mind where mm-hmm. she's just every time it's kind of in her perspective, she's like that terrible thing that she had seen that happened with her grandfather that she couldn't think of right now. Uh, should she <laughs> tell Langdon about the terrible thing that had happened with her grandfather? No, she couldn't right now. Stay tuned to find right. out. It's like, okay. Next time on Dragon Ball Z. Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Sophie is the most boring human. So boring. First off, because we find out that, like, you know, her grandfather left this, did this whole thing to get her attention or whatever, like, leaving the code. But then he also left himself in the shape of the Vitruvian man or whatever in order to get her attention because it's her favorite work of art. And I'm like, why is that your... So already when that kind of came up, I was like, you sound really boring and i wouldn't want to hang out with you but then yeah but also can we talk about he how committed he was to the part he took off all his clothes to do it too <laughs> like that again after being shot in the stomach he took off he disrobed himself and <laughs> laid down just like you know what my, da vinci's vitruvian man you know, you know what my granddaughter who doesn't talk to me because of the sex cult needs to see because she saw my wing wing once <laughs> guess what i'm gonna show her my wing wing again most, like, traumatizing day of her life when i'm i've been <laughs> murdered oh, my dick. forever she'll be reminded of my wing wing every time she thinks of me but yeah so like already sophie is boring um but then when we finally do find out like what the terrible thing is that she saw her grandfather participate in It's like, oh, it was a sex ritual where there were a bunch of people standing around and then her grandfather having sex with some lady. 
Which, like, okay, I get that that would be unpleasant to see that. Like, 100% agree. Mm -hmm. But her reaction Mm -hmm. is to not say anything. Not be like, what the fuck, Grandpa? So out of proportion. Like, if you walked into that, you'd be like, whoa, 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 what the fuck's going on, right? And then... Yeah, you would immediately leave, hopefully. You'd be like, what? What's happening? And then she... So she backs out, doesn't say anything, and then doesn't talk to him ever again. For, like, 10 years. It's like, girl... What? You need to... She ignores... He writes her letters and he calls her to explain and she ignores everything. She leaves the letters unopened. Like, you're not even the tiniest morbidly curious about why right. your 100%. grandfather was doing that? You, like, or or just, you know, agree never to speak of it, you know? But yeah, like, why are, yeah. He's literally your only living relative and he... And that's the thing. It's not even like a full-on orgy. It's like mm-hmm. her grandfather having sex with some woman, which then by the end is very nicely clarified that the woman was his wife, so it's okay. And I'm like, yes. that's not the part of the sex cult that you should be worried about anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is so weird. The, mo- the sexual morality of this book is bizarre. Like, it is, Yeah, and I, I just want to be like, okay, so the whole reason why she stumbled across him is because she came home early from spring break unannounced, she let herself into his home mm. with the spare key that he had hidden somewhere else. And then she, like, when she found the home empty, she proceeded to, like, hunt around for him. And then when she did find him and she, she like, stayed and watched this whole thing for a little while. Because it's not like she, oh, she glimpsed it and then backed out. Right. She's like, she stayed and watched the whole thing. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I could see how it would be a little bit jarring. But also, honey, like, that was Grandpa's private time. And you yep. just waltzed on in there, like you were the boss of him so you know whatever grandpa wants to do behind closed doors with his secret cult you just let him do and you know sex positivity oh yeah it's it was it was a everyone was consenting maybe it could have been done in a way where it seemed scarier than it was like mm-hmm. because that's the thing langdon eventually is like oh, you saw him participating in this ritual, didn't you? And she's like, mm-hmm. yes, how did you know? And he's like, yeah, it looked exactly like this, didn't it? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it was a sex ritual. And she's like, oh, okay. I guess I get it now. And I'm like, did you not Like, did you not understand <laughs> I... it was a sex cult ritual before? Like, <laughs> but like, Lang, like, yeah, like... like, she saw the thing and she saw it correctly. It wasn't like she saw it and misinterpreted it right it was like yeah she saw the exact thing that happened and was freaked out by it and i'm like either it's so disturbing for whatever reason you shouldn't then be able to be okay with it when someone explains to you that it was the thing that you thought it was or like <laughs> you need to have like misconstrued something about the situation you know yes yes very and dumb very dumb yeah yeah and just like you know maybe you should be more forgiving sophie because that's like two times in the book that she explicitly waltzed all over his privacy. So there's another time where she, like, goes in his room and, like, is looking for her birthday present. Oh, and it's like, yeah. I'm going to go look in the place where Grandpa told me to never look. And to be fair, and I she think did, she was a little kid mad. at that time. She was, but she should have learned her lesson. <laughs> what a, if you grandpa just was like... The first time, you wouldn't have found the sex cult. Exactly, and you could have loved your Grandpa until he was brutally murdered and been a lot <laughs> sadder about it. And then showed you his wing wing. Yes! <laughs> Either way, you were destined we're to see, see it. So, <laughs> oh. oh my god! 
<laughs> so anyway. <laughs> oh, also the rest of her family died in an accident. Yeah. When she was little. And so she lived only with her grandma. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they run around the Louvre. They're like, we have to escape. But instead, they spend a bunch of time in the Louvre, like, trying to interpret these clues. Um, but they finally flee the crime scene. And they head towards um, a Swiss bank where they think that the, her grandfather's clues are leading them. I can't remember why. I just remember they going to this, they're going to the Swiss um, bank. It's because. Did he leave it? Oh, address? it's because, I don't it's remember. because they find the key, isn't it? Oh, right, right, yeah, right, they yes. they find the key in they the find back the key. of the painting, which they found because of the all the anagrams on the floor mm-hmm. in the not mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yes. So they go there, and they very obviously don't know what they're doing, but they somehow um, talk their way all the way into the bank to um, and figure out how to use the key in a very, like, complex manner for... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just misremembering 2003, but I guess like the computer scans the key and the computer realizes what box um it belongs to. And so then these robotic arms underneath the bank go through all the safe deposit boxes and it grabs the correct one and puts it on this conveyor belt and the conveyor belt sends the safe deposit box up to the people that own it in this private room. So like they have they can't even see the boxes, I think. Was, I didn't find it convoluted because I felt it was just like a rich people thing. Yeah, I, I guess to me, like, it seemed maybe, and like I said, maybe I'm misremembering 2003, but it seemed really advanced. <laughs> I mean, it did, but like also rich people. So like I was, yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, sure. Okay, they're rich. It's fine. <laughs> they They do more puzzle solving to figure out what the account number and pin number are or something like that and which it's the numbers that the were on the floor or on the, yes, on the painting it, or whatever it, like he gave them the clue like yeah. it was the fibonacci sequence it was, yeah except not in that <laughs> or yeah no it was literally the fibonacci sequence and in the correct and order that yeah. was like one of the things where i'm just like i feel like you guys are trying to act like you're so smart and it's like you're really not like Oh man, who would ever suspect the Fibonacci sequence? Like that's so clever of Jacques. Like, My grandpa like, only talked about it all the time. And it's like I don't, I don't know. That's like a pretty common like, like I remember learning about the Fibonacci sequence in like fifth grade. Like that's not yeah. You know, like they, they were like it's indi- uh, indistinguishable from any other random string of numbers. I'm like no, it's pretty distinguishable because it it's the Fibonacci sequence. Like yeah, I'm not saying I would immediately jump to that, but like I don't think it's like this great. <laughs> genius idea the way they're making it out to be i feel like a cryptologist right and a symbologist right. would definitely know yeah and that was a, but, another thing in this book that i want to get into a little bit later on but just like the amount that people's knowledge varied a lot of yeah. people didn't know things that they should have known and a lot of people knew things that they had no reason to know and there were a couple of like really mm-hmm. glaring ones later in the book where i was just like what is this <laughs> okay so Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. So they're they get the safe deposit box. They open up. Oh, they open up the box and the keystone is inside. Mm, and it's a cryptex. Yes, and it's a cryptex. And I guess that's a thing that Leonardo da Vinci invented. Basically, it's like a container where if you don't know the password, it the contents will be destroyed. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it's like a fancy lock. They take it and the um, bank manager, I guess, was friends with her grandfather and is like, okay, I'll help you guys get away because I don't want any bad publicity for mm-hmm. the bank and the police are on their way. So I'm going to help you sneak out 
by hiding you in the back of one of my bank's delivery trucks, and I'm going to drive you away. But then, I guess, along the way, he decides to learn or hears about why the police were after them, and it's because they are wanted for the murder of Jacques and the other three people. So, yeah, so the police are just randomly lumped in these other three people, too, um, that... I don't know why they thought all four of them were related. Because it's not, it's, like, supposed to be the thing. I think it's because like they were all... murdered in a similar way. Because I think that's what they say, okay. is that, that like, I mean, because they were shot, so I would assume it was, like, the bullets, you know? Like, oh, if it's yeah. like if there's four like murders the within, like, bullets, yeah. a few hours in the same area and it's all the same bullets, you'd probably be like, oh, someone's going on a killing spree. I guess that's the other foolish thing, too, then, is if you have these four people and they're the only four people in the whole world. Yeah, why do they all live in Paris? Yeah. Why do they all live in Paris? It's a very bad plan. (laughs) There were, the Priory of Scion made a lot of bad decisions in their one job of protecting the Holy Grail. That they've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. But whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Um... So anyway, along the way, they discover he discovers that Robert and Sophie are wanted for murder, and the bank manager decides to then pull over and hold them at gunpoint and demand they return the safe deposit box to him so he can take it back to the bank. Mm. Because apparently, and I guess this was supposed to be like a red herring because it's supposed to make you think that he was with one of the secret societies or something, or the Opus Dei or the Priory of Scion um, or something. But he really just wanted the box back because he it was bank property. Um, and he thought that they murdered Jacques and stole his account information and then essentially stole the safe deposit box. Which, so. like, I mean, like, I get that you wouldn't want them to have it. But also, I wouldn't go out of my way to fix that situation. Like, yeah, he really took his job super seriously. Right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> ready to go the extra mile. He was going to murder some people. If they were actual murderers and they had the account information and they got into the account and then they were like actual murderers, everyone uh-huh. would be like, oh, yeah, they threatened to murder him, too. Right. But he's yeah. like, like really, really committed to protecting the honor of his bank, which like good for him, I guess. I guess because but then like when they were introduced, when we were introduced to this character, he was like complaining about his job. So I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. His loyalty was very strange. Well, and like every other character in this book, he basically had no actual characterization, so it's kind of hard to tell. Yes, yeah, that is very true. He was pretty much indistinguishable from the French police chief. Mm, or, or the French police guy who wasn't the chief, the but was The police around. lieutenant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot going on in this book that just didn't matter to happen. So they foil the bank manager's plot, and they steal his truck. I guess they just, like, leave them out in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, again, they they stop using their brains because they then take this stolen armored bank vehicle that is owned by a super secure Swiss bank. They take that truck and they drive it to the exact place where they want to go hide out from everybody. Which, big dumb dum dums Yes, extremely dumb. Um, they drive into the home of this extremely rich English gentleman named Lee Teabing, mm-hmm. um, because I guess he's like the number one scholar um, of, about the Holy Grail, yeah. and he's one of Robert Langdon's acquaintances, not really friends. I don't know. They've worked together on some stuff before. They're colleagues. And and apparently this guy owns like a huge historic French estate, and he just like lives in it and... Is super rich and has a lot of money and stuff. But so is they also go to him. disabled. 
Yes, he had polio as a child, and so his legs don't work so good. Which will be important for a rant later on. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) Putting a lot of pins in this one, guys. (laughs) Um, So then they go to his house, and they wake him up because it's like middle of the night. And they proceed to spend way too much time just sitting around drinking tea and chatting about the Holy Grail. And teaching Sophie all the silly nonsense about this quest for the Grail. Which this was one of the things where I was like, the level of knowledge doesn't match up. Because it's basically like Mm -hmm. every character has whatever level of knowledge is necessary for someone to explain things. So if they need someone to be dumb, then that character... Like, they'll just make one of the characters not know things so that someone else can explain stuff. But then when they <laughs> want the character to explain something, suddenly they know everything. So, like, they're explaining about this whole Grail thing. And essentially the the whole Holy Grail story in this is that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and they had kids. And mm-hmm. when they're telling, they're asking Sophie, like, how much do you know about the New Testament? She's like, oh, basically nothing. I don't know anything. I wasn't really, I wasn't raised in a religious household. And then like five seconds later, they're like, oh, well, you know, Mary Magdalene's family was descended from Benjamin. And she's like, not Benjamin. My God, she was descended from Benjamin. But then she would have been so prominent in this society. I'm like, girl, either you know religious stuff or you don't. Like, or you don't. What is it? And I mean, like, I know Benjamin is Old Testament, not New Testament. So maybe like her grandfather randomly taught her all the Old Testament shit. But like, it it was just like, okay. Yeah, Ugh. it was too many, too many gaps. It was gaps when they needed someone to be the audience surrogate to have things explained to them. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, they were all super geniuses who knew everything about everything. Which, at one point, I just wanted to be like, Dan Brown, why didn't you just write this in the second person and just be like, you question Robert about Benjamin. (laughs) That's clearly what you wanted to do. (laughs) So just erase all the unnecessary characters and replace them with me. (laughs) It's fine. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. They eventually, oh, eventually, um, the monk Silas catches up to them and somehow sneaks onto the estate and sneaks into the house because this guy leaves all his windows unlocked and attacks them in order to get the keystone. They foil his plans because T-Bing hits, hits him a, with his crutches. Yeah, in the, in the spot where he's wearing his sharp pointy thing that cuts off his leg. Cut, doesn't, doesn't yeah, cut his leg, but it, it cuts into his leg. Yeah, like a garter, it's like kind a of like a or something. But I, I'm not Solis. pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, so he so he he wears it like two hours a day, um, and I guess, yeah. So he yeah 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 yeah. And I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> so Teeming hits him with hits him in it, and they ask him like, "Oh, how did you know that?" And he's like, "Oh, well, um, I realized he was uh in the." Um, Priory of, or no, not the Priory, the, uh, the Opus Day, and they do that, so I just, you know, figured that would work, and it's like... I saw some blood on his monk room. If, if it wasn't for the fact that Dan Brown has already set everybody up as knowing things whenever they need to know them, mm-hmm. I would be like, oh, that's really suspicious that he happened to know that, but, you know, I just accepted it the first time I read this. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. Everyone is a super brain. Yeah, and knows everything about everything. Book. Unless they need to not. And they're all extremely lucky. Mm. Mm, like, I, like yeah, we Em and I were talking about this via text 
the other day and I was like, this book is just one giant coincidence. Yeah, essentially. It's like, <laughs> that's all it is. So they foil, they foil Silas's plans. They take him captive. And they make him a hostage. And they decide that the best thing to do now is because all of the Holy Grail quests are centered in London is to illegally transport a hostage and to citizens <laughs> illegally into another country by way of private jet. Because Bing is very rich and may do as he pleases. Yes, he's also a knight, so I guess that also has gives him some leverage. So they go to London, and the local police are waiting for them there, but they do a sneaky plan and get away from them. And they go to this church, because that's where they think the clues in the cryptics are leading them. Oh yeah, they open the cryptics on the plane. It was like this whole long stupid thing of like, we need a word of wisdom, and the word of wisdom was Sophie's name, but spelled in the ancient Greek way, Sophia, so it was only five letters long and it fit the cryptics and anyway they open up the cryptics and inside is another cryptics it's like a it's like a um those russian nesting dolls of, a classic double cryptics <laughs> classic <laughs> um so they go to the church because that's where they think the clues are leading them to this church but it's the wrong church and um oh we forgot to mention that t-bing has a manservant named remy that they also bring with them who I may or because, may not have been picturing as Patton Oswalt because of uh, Remy from Ratatouille, but <laughs> there was a lot of like the, the. Why wouldn't you just picture him as a rat? Then? I don't know because I thought that was a little too far fetched. <laughs> I was also picturing uh, Langdon as Nicolas Cage the entire time, so you know. Nice, nice. I was picturing Remy as. Um, Jarvis from the uh oh what is it not 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 Iron Man but the um <laughs> the other show that was on that was like with Howard Stark and what's her name from Captain America what was that show I don't called know. what are you talking about oh hold on let me look this up um oh um 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 the lady yeah, Car- Peggy Carter, yeah. that's her name. What was the show called? Agent Carter, wasn't it? Agent Carter. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, it was called Agent Carter. Anyway, I was picturing Jarvis from that from that show specifically. Isn't Jarvis played by Paul Bettany in the movies? I mean, I know Vision is. Yes. Yeah, Paul Bettany was Silas in this movie. So that's Oh, fun. that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. I hadn't seen this movie since it was I've never seen in the, the theaters. Movie. Oh. Yeah. You're just very knowledgeable about your Da Vinci Code I trivia. I that shit up, man. Gotta come prepared. <laughs> uh, well, I, tr- I tried really hard, but I could not picture um, Tom no, Hanks as Robert Langdon. Absolutely not, which is why I went Nicholas That was Cage. just poor casting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I do love Tom Hanks, and he's precious, and I, I think right, he should Robert be Right, but Robert Langdon's trash, but- so why would you picture Tom Hanks. Yeah, as why would you make exactly? Yeah, don't blame you at all. I would have liked Tom Hanks as Lee Teabing. That think. could have worked. I think that would have been that a much been better. better. Hollywood, call us. Let us <laughs> do the Da Vinci Code remake that we're all clamoring for. <laughs> da Vinci Code Redux. Da Vinci Code Two, Code Harder. <laughs> I mean, like there is a sequel to Da Vinci Code that exists as a movie. Really? Yeah, they did Angels and Demons as a sequel. Oh, but it's a prequel. Yes, I well, know. Well, it's like the first in the series. <laughs> but they did it as a sequel. Oh, I hate it. 
<laughs> I didn't realize I'd made that a movie. Yeah, pretty sure. Let me double check and make sure I'm not just saying shit. No, I, I, I don't doubt you. Oh, I can't. I spelled Agnols and Demons. I'm not going to find it. Agnols and Demons. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a film adaptation of Angels and Demons released on in 2009, which did have oh. Tom Hanks in it. Yeah, so it and was... you and McGregor? Um, yeah, looks like. And Stellan Skarsgård. Lots of people. Oh. A lot, that's wow. the thing. A lot of like people who I'm like, these are, these are actors who are like good, signed on for this. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. Know. Anyway, we're getting. <sighs> As always. Oh my God, they're making a, they made a movie out of Inferno too. Did they? Yeah. Or uh, Inferno also, just in case that was confusing to any listeners. <laughs> yes. Which is the third book in the series. No, Lost this Symbols is the third one. Oh, oh, this was the most. When I don't know. It's Lost There's Symbol, five and the then books. it's Inferno, and then it's um, new book, whatever the new book. Origin. Called. Yeah, that one just came out this year. I think. I think so. It? Yeah. Not that I'm gonna read it. You but... are, because I'm gonna challenge you to read it. God damn it! No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a thousand pages long, and we can't read it. Who keeps asking for these movies? <laughs> it can't be Tom Hanks. He's <laughs> wow. Felicity Jones, Ben Johnston. Paul Ritter. This is turning into us reading IMDb. We need to focus back It's up. fascinating. Everyone's fascinated in this. Just ask them. Aren't you fascinated, listeners? <laughs> it's all getting cut. <laughs> We're going to cut from the joke I made about <laughs> the Remy thing, because that wasn't even a good joke, <laughs> all the way up to now. All of it's going on the floor. Okay. Okay. So then let me, let me like come back into it with some laughter. <laughs> You're right, Emily. <laughs> named Remy. So, yeah, there was a manservant named Remy whom I forgot because he was pretty pointless. He um, basically existed in order to be another red herring. Um, he... Well, at this point, we know that there is someone called the teacher who is... Oh, I forgot, yeah. ...in charge of... Si- like, who told Silas to do this stuff. And then it turns out Remy also knows the teacher, and Remy knows what the teacher looks like. Yes. And so Remy was supposed to stay hidden... Um, so that no one could tie the Remy to the teacher. Um, but he doesn't stay hidden. He actually, while the while Lee, Robert, and Sophie are in this wrong church, he is um, out in the car with their captive Silas. And instead of hurting him or just even guarding him and ignoring him, he lets him go free. And hands him a gun. And he's like, let's go in there and get the keystone back. And so they go into the church. Remy and Silas, and they managed to capture Lee and steal the keystone. Great. Which, once the twist is revealed, this entire thing makes absolutely no sense. Oh, yeah, a lot of it makes no sense. Zero sense. Like, I, because I knew what was coming, because I did remember what happened with this book, because I read Mm -hmm. it in high school, too. Um, And yeah, I was like, okay, he's the evil guy, right? So, like, why? Why are we doing he? Why are we doing literally any of this? Yeah, I so dumb. Especially because it's told to us through while we still don't know who the identity of the teacher. The teacher is like, those suckers went to the wrong church, and I know where the right church is, and right. blah blah blah. And this, and he, I think this was told to us before any of the kidnapping and stuff happened. So I was like, well, then why did they pretend to kidnap him? Why didn't they just like? Let him go or scatter or something. I don't know. It was like it, said, well, very dumb. 
And then the part where Remy, okay, well, we'll get to that after the reveal. So yeah, because I've which we've kind of already you've probably it's figured teething. out what the reveal is. The yeah. teacher. So like, there's a part where like Remy is like talking about how he came to work with the teacher, and it's in his head, and he's mm-hmm. like, he used to be stuck in the house with that old crippled fool, but yes. then the teacher came for him and gave him the, and I'm like. No, but that's the same person. And you know that. You're lying to me now. Like, you're just <laughs> telling me lies. Because it's like... Yeah, you're just being intentionally just, misleading. Right. I'm like, this is bullshit. This is complete nonsense. I was so mad at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was It was very cheaty, author. Mm, I hated it. It's like, you don't, you, don't, you don't even need to do that. Just don't say any of that like you didn't yeah. need to tell us any of that it wasn't don't necessary. give us Remy's stupid point of view because we don't need it but essentially we needed it to find out that Remy was poisoned by the teacher um. so that he died so that's like he's dead. oh yeah yeah so like Remy's like the teacher's like you showed your face so I'm going to, instead of like I guess I guess it's probably left less of a trace but instead of just like poisoning him regular style an- <laughs> Allergic yeah, he made him go into anaphylactic shock yeah. by feeding him peanut dust. Which, okay. He was like, well, I don't have any peanuts. I ate all the peanuts, but there's some crumbs in the bottom of this bag. I'm just going to pour it into this glass of bourbon. And Remy's like, this bourbon is so salty. Also, I like the fact that Dan Brown gave us, like, a hint that this was going to happen when, like, earlier he's like, I think one of the police officers are like, oh, yeah, I remember last year when that one restaurant had to be shut down because they didn't yeah. um, mention peanuts in their allergy. Like, they didn't warn about peanuts in their menu and someone had an allergic reaction and, like, died. And I'm like, oh my you God. didn't need to red hair it or you didn't need to, like, Chekhov's gun peanuts for us. Like, we all know <laughs> that peanuts cause allergies. I'm, I am so glad you mentioned that because I literally thought, I was like, as I read that scene, I was like, what did I just read where, like, they had to shut down a restaurant right. because I did not connect in my mind that that was from the same book because it was so out of place and stupid. Dan like, wanted us to know that peanuts caused people allergies can and die he thought it would be too ham-handed to say it during the time when the peanuts were causing the allergies. Yeah, yeah, he... He couldn't just simply say, I killed him with peanuts, yeah, he couldn't which he like, does say in the book. Or he, he says. Just be like, it couldn't be since it was in Remy's perspective. Remy felt his throat closing. The last time he'd felt this way was when he went to a restaurant that had not put peanuts on the menu and he'd had an allergic reaction. Like, because he does that with every other thing. It's like everything <laughs> that happens, there's some dumb backstory to it. And it's like a whole scene. It's not just like, and then Robert remembered the time he had to go read a book. No, it was like, and then Robert remembered on one fall day on Harvard campus, he went to the library and the librarian said this and Robert said this and they had a laugh together. And then there was this book. Oh yeah, here was the title of the book. And that's all you needed also, to know was, was the title of the book. Robert Langdon. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, so the peanut thing was bizarre. It was so weird. Oh my I really thought I was like I was trying to think so hard. I was like, what did I just read recently? That was it like an article on was it something I watched? He just it was in the same hundred pages earlier for no reason. For no reason and with nothing to do with the story at all. (laughs) Oh my god. Like there was no earlier section of this book where it's like peanuts, peanuts, we're so scared. No, it was just like they randomly just brought out this anaphylactic shock thing. It was so weird. It was so weird. <laughs> it was like, like I can 
see mentioning earlier in the book that the character who's going to die of an allergic reaction has an allergy. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that should probably be foreshadowed. But, like, he literally just foreshadowed the fact that allergies exist. (laughs) You know, I think we should count ourselves lucky that he wasn't, he didn't go into the whole history of peanuts and... Well, there was a peanut found in King Tut's tomb. (laughs) And Leonardo da Vinci liked to sketch peanuts. Listen, I know that peanuts were a new world crop. Don't at me, okay? (laughs) And if you zoom in on The Last Supper, you can actually see (laughs) Jesus sitting there with a handful of peanuts. Mr. Mr. Planter. Because that's like a big thing in this book, right? That's this big scene where they're looking at The Last Supper. And he's like, look at this. Look at this disciple. Do you notice anything about them? And Sophie's like, no, no. And he's like, look closer. And she's like, is a lot a woman? Like, what if? Instead what of that, if? She looked closer. And it was Mr. Planter. Jesus was married to Mr. Planter. If we're following the logic of this book. I'm like crying. If we're following the logic of this book. Then that means Jesus married Mr. Planters. <laughs> yep, confirmed. And that's... 100% accurate. That That's told in the Honey Roasted Scrolls. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the Gospel of Cashew. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, I never noticed that top hat and monocle and cane before. <laughs> Isn't there actually, hold on, isn't there actually a TV show that does a parody of this and it is Mr. Planters? Am I getting this from something? Hold on one second. I don't know. I think this is a thing. Let me look this up. Hold on. Yes. Okay. There is an episode of American Dad, which I'm ashamed that this is what I remembered. It's not quite the same thing, but it's a parody of this and there's an episode where it's like a, about Black History Month, and the 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 secret that is hidden is that Mary Todd Lincoln invented peanut butter instead of um, George Washington Carver. So there is like okay. a peanut themed like artwork and stuff like that. But I don't know. I can't recall if it's actually the Last Supper because I just had a flash forward to when we um, released this episode, and Michael's listening to it and just going, "It's American Dad. It's American Dad." <laughs> See, I told you it was American Dad. <laughs> Good job, Michael. Uh, this is this is the part of the podcast where we congratulate Michael on watching American Dad. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Which isn't a thing that needs to be congratulated. It's not a good show. No, no. Stop watching American Dad, Michael. <laughs> now we've reached the part of the podcast where Anna tells her husband what sort of media he should and shouldn't be consuming. <laughs> Are oh we back god. to the part of the podcast where we finished explaining what happens in this book yet? <laughs> oh my god, almost. We're almost there. I think this is like the last 80% yeah. of the book or so. <clears throat> um, so, not knowing what to do, Robert and Sophie decide to go to the library to find out what the clue could mean that was inside the cryptex. Mm-hmm. Um, and it points them instead to Isaac Newton's tomb, which I think is in Westminster Abbey. Or sure. at Westminster yeah, sounds right. So they go to there. And it is there that it is revealed that Lee is a bad guy. Because he was already there. And he decides to hold them at gunpoint. There's a lot of 
I don't know how many times in 48 hours one person can be held at gunpoint. And also it's like the, the same gun a lot of the times. That, yeah, because they just keep picking it up. <laughs> yeah, they just keep picking it up and taking it with there's them. Like, like, maybe you should just leave all the guns at home. Well, there's the one gun that Sophie gets and they eventually lose that one. And then at this point, all of the guns are like the Medusa or whatever that he keeps in his uh, car. In the limo. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, and Lee's like, I'm the one that orchestrated everything. Oh, yeah, I'm the one that orchestrated everything. Um, not because I'm with the Catholic Church and want to hide the information about Jesus' secrets and him being, like, superhuman guy. Um, I am actually just, I just want the world to know because the Priory is slacking on their duties and they should have revealed this information at the turn at of the, the dawning of the millennium. age of Aquarius. Yeah, the age of Aquarius, <laughs> which I didn't realize that's not the thing that exists outside of that musical. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> he wants, yeah, so he wants the world to know about Jesus's human life in order to just, I guess, just to have people know about history. Like, I don't think he had an ulterior motive. I think he was just mad that this knowledge wasn't out there yeah. for the world to consume. I think he's supposed to be like an academic who is driven by knowledge and like wanting, mm. but like too far. He goes too far because he murders people of with peanuts. He he's a pure historian. Yeah. Um, but too bad, so sadly, because Robert just solves the problem, I guess. But so also he he has manipulated the whole situation. So he manipulated the Opus Dei to believe oh, right. that if they participated by like having Silas come and help him first off that no one would get killed and that they would get the grail. So then they would have power over the Catholic church because they were about to be kicked mm. out because the new Pope was super liberal, which we would have known more about that if we had read the first book, because apparently that was like part of the plot of the first book was getting a new Pope, oh, I um, but I don't want to do that. So, uh, yeah. he manipulated <laughs> Silas into be- partaking in this. During the course of this, Silas ends up killing the guy who we said you don't need to worry about, but he was like a father to Silas. Or he doesn't kill him, he injures him severely. And then yes. Silas goes wa- like running off into the streets of London, and does he kill himself? Like what? No, I think, because he also was shot in that exchange. Oh, so he just dies yeah so so i guess what silas does after kidnapping lee the teacher tells him like go back to an opus day headquarters Mm -hmm. and just rest up and then i will contact you later um and so he goes back there and then the police somehow hear that he because again the police are like chasing all these people down but no one is stressed out about it um so but the police hear that silas is going back to opus day so they go to catch up with him there because at this point the chief of police has realized that has figured the whole thing out and but we don't know we don't know that he's figured the whole thing out but so he's like trying to get to silas because he knows he's the real killer at this point yes yes and so the the bishop the the leader of the opus day or the creator of opus day who practically raised silas from a child well no um, he saved silas from jail because oh that's what it was sorry yeah he saved a bad childhood and then went to jail Mm-hmm. Yes, he goes with the police to like, I guess, try and go talk to Silas or I don't know what his motivation was. But then there's like this violent confrontation between the police and Silas and Silas gets shot. And then Silas, I guess, like in all the mayhem, accidentally shoots the bishop and then gets real upset about it and carries him to the hospital, leaves him at the hospital. And then 
walks into a park and dies. Something like that. So he's and dead. And that is the, yeah, like the anticlimactic end of Silas, I guess. Yeah. Um, so while all that is happening, Lee is like, Robert, come with me if you want to preserve history. Um, and we will give the grail to the world. That's what the world deserves. And Robert's like, mm, but Sophie doesn't want me to do that. So mm. and he's kind of like, wishy-washy waffling to try and stall time and Lee so to kill Sophie if they don't give him the cryptex yes and then they while he's not looking they pull which and the audience doesn't know this at first either they get they solve the cryptex get the message out of it and then throw the cryptex so that he panics and goes for it um and It breaks, but then he realizes nothing was in the cryptex and they've already gotten it. So then the two of them run off and Lee gets arrested, I guess. Yeah, and a stupid, like, again, cheaty author sort of thing. Like, we get Robert's perspective where he's like, I just don't know what to do. I guess I'll just stall for time. And then we switch to Lee's perspective and it's like, haha, I got him and I know that Robert's lying. And then we go back to Robert's perspective and it's like, Robert's like, I know I could tell he knew I was lying. And <laughs> so I guess I have no choice but to destroy this cryptex. And as it's destroyed, he goes, haha, actually I had solved it before I destroyed it. Which incidentally, <laughs> the solution to the cryptex was so fucking obvious. <laughs> Yeah, like, so their like, clue is like, what is the orb that's missing, orb missing from, from Isaac-, Isaac Newton's grave? Like, what's an mm-hmm. orb that Isaac Newton likes? What are orbs that Isaac Newton orbs for that, Isaac that Newton? That are f- fleshy and full fleshy of seeds. Fleshy and full of seeds orbs. Isaac Newton. Famous mm-hmm. man who had an apple fall on Gravity. his head. Apple man, head man. <laughs> what orb? I guess the answer is apple. <laughs> what five-letter word that is apple? His apple. I wish I... Orange? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Banana? It has to be, like, maybe, like, the name of an obscure star no one's heard of. I don't know, man. And it's just, like, fucking apple. And it's, like, how stupid are you? Yeah. They're just so, like, far up their butts with how smart they are that they just can't figure out the simplest things. Right. Again, Uh, they know everything until it's important to the plot that they don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And, and like, the way that they defeat Lee, too, is so stupid because he th- they throws the cryptics in the air and Lee, like, lunges to grab it. But as we've said before, like, Lee's on crutches. And so when he lunges to grab the cryptics, he leaves his crutches behind. And so then I guess he just falls on the ground and they just, like, leave him there and walk away, mm-hmm. I guess. Because even though he still has a gun, the fact that he's lying on the floor has rendered him completely useless. Well... It'd probably be hard to shoot from the floor. I don't know. I guess. I guess. Also, I think because they specify that that gun is like little and not super good, but because he's doing it at close range, it would hurt uh, them. So he has like. So I guess from the floor, it's too far away. <laughs> so it's a shitty gun. Bad gun. Bad gun choice. Shitty plan. Shitty gun. Hmm. Um. Oh, and then and then randomly the French police show up and they That's arrest Lee. Zuta, Lord, we knew it this whole time. This whole time, because they figured out Robert was innocent due to the stupid-ass side story that was so stupid and useless to the rest of the book, they don't even want to talk about it, that involves the leader of the Opus Dei, um, which we kind of hinted at a little bit. But basically, that guy just, like, confessed to the French Yeah, because he police. figured out he'd been tricked. Yeah. Stum. So. So, the, <laughs> yeah. So, the final clue leads Robert and Sophie to some chapel in Scotland, and there she finds out that not all of her family had died in the past, actually. It's her grandma and brother are still alive, and they are direct descendants of Jesus. 
Um, and also the grail isn't there, lol. <laughs> and Sophie's grandma's just like, well, I guess you'll, I, it'll come to you. You'll find you... it or you won't, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> and Robert's like, well, like, how, how will your secret society rebuild? Because no one knows where the grail is. And she's like, like don't, oh, I don't care, we will. not a problem. Don't worry about it. We will. But, like, literally you can't if the knowledge of where it was died with those four men. Well, I think it's implied that she knows but doesn't uh. know no because she's so she was so close to her husband that she picked up on some. Because, like, they have this hint that leads to this cathedral, but she's like, oh, well, you know, double meanings. There might be something else that this leads to. So I'm pretty sure she's supposed to have figured it out way before Langdon did and just doesn't want to fucking uh. tell Langdon. I think she's just like, it, it, it's kind of like um earlier in the book, they say something about, like, if when Sophie is explaining why her grandfather makes her do made her do all the puzzles as a kid, like that the act of completing the puzzle proves that you're worthy to have the prize, essentially. Uh, so I think yeah. it's supposed to be like a callback to that. Like she doesn't want to straight up tell Langdon where it is, but she kind of knows. And then he, if he can figure it out, he deserves to know. I think is essentially what it is. Yeah, but Robert Langdon. Then they keep saying like the Grail will find you yeah. when you're ready or something. Yeah. And it turns out it's at the Louvre. Uh, yeah, and he in a really like super obvious spot falls on his knees and prays and hears, thinks he hears a woman's voice, and it's all about the feminine, uh, the divine feminine. This whole book is all about the divine feminine and how important women are <laughs> and how great women are and women are so mm-hmm. important and special, but we only have three female characters and two of them only appear in one scene apiece. <laughs> And the other one is sometimes really stupid. And yeah, the other one is Sophie and she's trash. Um, So that was frustrating. And also the thing that I wanted to mention earlier about the disability thing, it's really great when the two characters who are like the most evil are also the disabled guy and the guy who is like physically looks different enough to be like, cause he's the others. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty shitty. (laughs) Yeah. That's not the greatest. I'm like, really? Like, it couldn't have been literally anyone else? Like, Yeah. Or he could have just not been disabled? Like, Yeah, I was going to say, there really wasn't. I mean, I guess it was convenient in some places like, so that they for could, him to be able to get through that metal detector right. with a gun. It's because he had crutches. And, like, like, their whole excuse for coming to England was, like, that he needed a medical treatment thing. But it's like, I don't know. But also he had a shit ton of money. Like, make up some other reason. And yeah, also... um supposedly so like lee Teabing is an anagram of two of the people who sued dan brown over like a different thing oh really um an anagram he loves yeah. that and also there was another guy who like accused him of some stuff that was also disabled so like people were like is this what you're are you drawing it are you like wow it's pretty obvious that the two who lee Teabing is named after are like being referenced but the other guy, he's like, no, 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 I wasn't referencing him. I didn't even know that he was disabled. But it's like, uh, it's a little bit suspicious, uh, man. Like, That's a little bit shady. It's a little shady, my dude. That's a little shady. And I don't know if we mentioned, but like the Holy Grail wasn't like, it, they make a big thing out of it, like not being a chalice yeah, or a goblet or anything. it's Mary Magdalene's body. Yeah, it's her corpse and the journals that she wrote that prove that Jesus was a human and not a divine figure. Yeah. 
Well, and just like, not even just her journals, but like everyone documenting the fact that Jesus had kids, which would, I guess. Oh, prove yeah. That. Yeah. Like his family trait. Yeah. It was his like 23 and me. Right. So <laughs> I, okay. So I guess we, we're kind of getting into segments now. So silver lining. Um, mine, I don't hate, hate this book. Like, I think it's mm. pretty stupid, not well researched, and the characters are blah. But I do love a good conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, scavenger hunt stories are kind of fun. Like, I like yeah. National Treasure. I like that episode. Who doesn't? Of, I know, right? I like that episode of Parks and Rec where they go on a scavenger hunt. Like, that sort of thing is... <laughs> the Westing game. Entertaining. So I, I was entertained by this book once I kind of got past the first bit where it's just like lecture, lecture, Info lecture, down. lecture. And it still had a lot of that, but yeah. like, do I think it's well-written? No. Do I think it's well-researched? <laughs> no. Do no. I think Dan Brown is the equivalent of a college freshman using Wikipedia to write their thesis? Yes. <laughs> but I did have kind of a bit of fun reading it. So I can't, I can't hate on it too much. I can. <laughs> I just, ugh, I didn't really care for any of it, really. I guess my silver lining would be that if you came to this book knowing nothing at all mm-hmm. about Leonardo da Vinci, you might learn something. Yeah. They might be you the might... incorrect things, but yeah, you learned things. You might... Yeah. Maybe like you didn't know that he was an inventor or that he could write in mirrored English yeah. or Italian, probably, I guess, at the time. But or... at the same time, I also kind of feel like our reverence for Da Vinci is a little bit like, eh. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, he was a smart guy and he invented a bunch of stuff and he painted well, mm-hmm. but like, all right, cool. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big... Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of like a... Uh... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It just seems like kind of like a, like a, yeah. Um, you know, you're super smart if you respect yeah, Leonardo da yeah. Vinci sort of vibe, you know, like. And it's like, and I mean, I feel like that was a lot of this book was just kind of that, like. <laughs> yeah. Sort of yeah. vibe, like very pretentious without anything to back it up, you know? Yeah, I agree. I yeah, I don't know. I just the whole time reading this book, I was like, this was this book was written for a demographic of like a very certain type of man, I think. It was <laughs> like for people who like Dan Brown, don't want to put the work in but want to feel smart. Yes, yeah, like a pseudo intellectual mm-hmm. sort of thing going on. Which I mean, which is not to say that if you do enjoy this book, you're stupid. I'm just that's what she's saying. That, maybe that is what I'm saying. No, I, don't know. I, think, I think what we're saying is that um, that you can enjoy this book, and it, this could even be one of your favorite books, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. know that a lot of the people that you share that love with are probably trash bags. <laughs> Not even like hefty trash no, bags, but like brand. yeah, store generic yeah. brand. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, Although you didn't enjoy much about this, was there any character that you related to in this book? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, at first I was like, no, no one. Mm-hmm. But then we get to the very end 
and <laughs> they they go to this last chapel in Scotland, and the docent at the end, who ends up being actually Sophie's brother, he these two, Sophie and Robert, walk in, and it's like five minutes to closing. And he, like, is low-key trying to hurry them out of there, but seemed like he's trying to be super helpful and polite, but really he's just like, why the fuck are you guys, like, strolling in here? Like, you know, no one else's time is important but your own five minutes to closing. I hate you people. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see it. (laughs) How about you? Who did you relate to? Um, Silas. (laughs) Oh, why? (laughs) Um, Pale. (laughs) Uh, feels like he is being, um... <laughs> yeah, go on. Besides the pale thing. He's pale, and he feels like he's being ostracized for his paleness. Uh, Loki has depression. <laughs> also, obsessive personality. Likes pain. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't gonna go there, but... <laughs> there were definitely, like... Especially in kind of the first couple explanations of Silas and his self-mortification, his mortification of the flesh. Like, there mm-hmm. were definitely some tones. And I was like, is this tur- Is this taking a Fifty Shades of Grey turn here? Like, Oh, possibly. But Would that have made the book better or worse? I mean, I think better. Because it would have yeah. been more interesting and almost like a character trait. Which I would have liked to read about that guy. Yeah, like that would have been interesting if he was like, ooh, like took a vow of celibacy, but is really turned right, around by right. Like there's there's self harm or not self harm. Uh, uh, what is the word you said? Mortification of the flesh. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but again, that gets into like the weird sexual politics of this book, where like mm. nobody is having sex, but like. I don't know. It's just, like, there isn't, it's, like, this weird, like, sexlessness. Yeah. For a book that, like, praises the act of sex by saying, like, like, the women being able to carry children is a miracle, and so women are to be revered, and the act of lovemaking and sex. And there's a whole part about how, like, the only way men can be close to God is through orgasm, which I'm like, that seems, like, a little much, but okay. Yeah. But then, like... And I mean, I guess to be fair, this is happening in essentially 24 hours. So it's not like they really have time to like be having sex. But like the characters are just very not interested in it. And then at the very end, and I yeah. think this is why it bothers me. At the very end, Sophie is like, hey, uh, we should meet up next time you're in Paris. And like gives him a kiss. And he's like, oh, it's a date. And I'm like, y'all didn't have any sexual tension this entire time and now like yeah no they were just like buds not even they were just like people who had to do this thing together like that's true yeah (laughs) anyway they're pretty much relative strangers who decided to team up and solve a puzzle (laughs) it's like like, when you get stuck in an escape room with the weird people you can't see me but i'm nodding so enthusiastically right now it's when you have a seven person escape room and you have a group of five going and then there's two other people that show up which is like our life every Every time time. escape room (laughs) we just need to meet one more person that likes to escape rooms with us with a with a group of highly competitive people who yell at each other halfway through the escape room how many times have there been tears when we do an escape room but i love it it's so much fun we do love escape rooms and we hate losing. 
We have never failed an escape room. I think room. escape rooms are also a thing that, like, kind of exists to make people seem, feel smarter than they actually are. Like, yeah. I don't believe yeah. those percentages, but they're like, only 30% have escaped this escape room. I'm like, no, I think everybody's done it, and you're just trying to make us feel smart. Yeah, because even when you go to the Facebook page and you're, like, looking at the pictures they post, mm-hmm. it's like, I escaped, mm-hmm. almost escaped. Like, only five people have all the, only ever almost yeah. escaped. So, Everyone else is making out alive. It's bullshit nonsense, but it makes me feel smart, and so I partake but in it. We'll spend $25 a person to do an hour of fun. Uh, what would you rather have been reading? <laughs> Um, if anyone was paying attention to my Twitter, yep, I knew this was coming uh, up. a week ago, I guess. Yeah. By the time this is posted, um, I would rather be reading another another thriller mystery that has a male lead and takes place in London. It's *Lethal White* by Robert Gail- Galbraith. Does not J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, it's J.K. Rowling. Uh, that just came out uh, last week mm-hmm. i believe yep. a week ago um and i have been waiting to read it as my reward for finishing this hate read and i just started it this morning and i want to keep reading it constantly it's 650 <laughs> pages though it's a chunk so i've never read any of those i have really oh you should um i think one of them sitting on one of my bookshelves somewhere you don't really like mysteries, yeah i'm not then, too you? big into mysteries and thrillers but you know i've heard good things and it's jk rowling they're so. pretty good they're more I I wouldn't say they're like literary mysteries, but they're very well done. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would recommend. Okay, cool. What is your rather be reading? Um, mine this week, I went in a different direction because, like I just said, I don't really like mysteries and thrillers, so I wasn't like going to pick a different mm. one. So I picked a different book that also has to do with Jesus. Um, <laughs> the Bible. The Bible. Everybody, <laughs> have you heard the <laughs> word of our Lord I and knew Savior? It. Um, no, the book. <laughs> <laughs> then I picked was um, by Christopher Moore, who's a... Yes! Fa- yeah! yeah, you know where I'm going now, yeah, right? Oh, I do. He's a fantasy humorist uh, type writer. He's got a lot of really great books. Uh, but specifically, he has a book called Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood yes. Pal, which is a... Um, so fucking funny. Retelling of Jesus's life as told. It's like supposed to be set in like the year 2000 and essentially... This guy who was friends with Jesus as a kid is brought back to Earth in order to give his account of the life of Jesus because they've decided it's time for, like, a new gospel. So he's sent to do that, and he... So it's, it's in part, it's him, like, kind of interspersed with him recounting this story to this angel, and then the majority of it is his version of events essentially and it is mm-hmm. very very funny and all but also like all of Christopher Moore's stuff very like heartwarming and very like kind of obsessed with what makes us human and why we do the things like it's very mm-hmm. you know so it's a really yeah one of my favorite books I love it so much it's um, so funny and you should get the version of it that actually looks like the bible yeah yeah recommend um <laughs> And I've recommended it to people who are very religious and they've also enjoyed it too. So I wouldn't say that it's like, uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's a, it's a humor book. So it's definitely like irreverent, but I don't think it's a, irreverent in a mean way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think it's disrespectful yeah. unless you are very, unless you're like protective over, unless you're like Amish, in which case you're clearly not listening to this podcast. So we're fine. Uh, <laughs> we're covered. Good. We're good. We're good. They don't know what we're saying about them. 
yeah. All right. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode, unless you had anything else you wanted to. No, I don't want to talk about this book. I just want to dread what you're going cool, to cool, say cool, we have cool, to read cool, for cool, next cool. <laughs> fortnight. I'm really excited about this one. Let me oh, pull gosh. it up because I have a few um, from this author. So I know you've heard of this author. I don't think you've read anything by the author. Uh, I would doubt okay. I doubt that you've read anything by the author. But I, I do have a couple different ones I was considering. And I know I settled on one, but I can't remember what its name is. So let me pull it up real quick. Cause we don't want is an- it the 700 page? I, I was going to say, we don't want another angels and demons situation here. <laughs> oh, I feel sad when I'm like, oh, I've already read it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you've already read this book, I'll be like, well, I guess we're not doing an episode next week. Because I got nothing else. <laughs> I feel like if we pick a book the other one has already read, then that person gets to challenge the <laughs> other. I think there we we have never really figured out what the actual rules are in terms of like if we don't complete a challenge, but that's all yeah, that's also. All right. I think this is the one I want to do. Okay. So I'm going to read the description and I'm not going to tell you who wrote it and I want to see if you can figure out who wrote it just by the description. Oh god. Cuz you might be able to. All right. The Description of this book is Divorced and disillusioned about relationships, Teresa Osborne is jogging when she finds a bottle on the beach. Inside is a letter of love and longing to Catherine, signed simply Garrett. Challenged by the mystery and pulled by emotions she doesn't fully understand, Teresa begins a search for this man that will change her life. What happens to her is unexpected, perhaps miraculous, an encounter that embraces all our hopes for finding someone special, for having a love that is timeless and everlasting. by Nicholas Sparks. No! <laughs> I've never read any <laughs> Nicholas Sparks before. before. You're correct. No! Jesus. So that's going to be our next episode. It's 384 oh pages, so it's well under our limit. Oh, that's good, at least. No! Yeah! Well, at least we know one of them dies in the I, end. I assume, if not both. I hope. Oh, it's a movie, too. I tried to pick one that I was like, I don't think you've seen the movie of it. Um, oh, God, no, I've never. Yeah. I have not read any Nicholas Sparks books. I have seen The Notebook. I have seen A Walk to Remember. I feel like I've seen a couple other ones. We can get into it next fortnight. But, yeah, I'm very excited to see. No. Why are you excited? I don't, Do you think you'll like it? I think that I won't like it, but I think this is a genre you'll really hate. <laughs> oh, 100%. Oh my gosh. I I don't think I'll enjoy it, but I think I'll be able to get through it a lot easier Ugh. than you will. <laughs> God, it's going to have a shitty sad ending. Yep. Oh, I look, the, up, look again. I looked up which ones are the saddest and it was like this in the notebook. No. So I think it's why would there. you do this to me? also the wedding which is a sequel to the notebook but i figured we couldn't do that one until we did the notebook so that'll be like episode uh, 800 or something dang we got kevin costner robin wright paul newman robbie coltrane in this movie dang i'm just gonna watch the movie no that's cheating hidden panettiere isn't it all right well as the girl on sinking boat <laughs> apparently there's a boat that sinks oh great spoilers um Okay, so that will be on. That will be up into next fortnight. 
Uh, so come on by and check it out. Yeah, if listen to how miserable I am. you are a member of a secret sex cult, please mm. email us or tweet at us and let us know. You can tweet at us at HateReadCast or email us hate, uh, HateReadCast at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know how accurate these secret rituals were, please. Yeah, we would like to know. And mm-hmm. if I have learned anything about secret societies from this book... It's that all you really need to do is ask them. Uh, <laughs> and they'll give up all the information. They will tell you everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks, as always, to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube in the description in the show notes below. Mm-hmm. And if you are li- listening to us and liking us and want to hear more, please subscribe to us on whatever platform it is that you're using for your podcast aggregation. Um, and if it is on iTunes, or if you happen to know how to use iTunes, then please go on there and leave us a wonderful five-star review. Which a couple of you guys have left us reviews now. Thank you so much. Ooh, we really wonderful, it. wonderful people. In the words of Dan Brown, the more penises you have, the higher your rank. <laughs> boys will be boys. <laughs> I just... I was just imagining this grandmaster had like 50 penises. So many dicks. I'm just like, I'm going to Google it and see what just like the quickest of Google says. Um, okay. Well, I would have to do more research on a quick Google. So, so I guess he did feel justified in just making it up because I'm too lazy to do the research to do it. <laughs> you got me, Dan Brown. You got you me. You were right. Research is crap. Let's just make things up.